0: South Cliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us now here's your senior pastor, Dr. Carol Marr, with this week's sermon. Well, good morning. If you would, take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Romans. We've been going through the book of Romans verse by verse for some time now, and uh, and we've made our way to chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, look with me in the New Testament. That's the back part of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, keep going to the right. And you're going to find that book of Romans. Romans is a letter that Paul writes to a church in Rome. And he offers instruction to them. Now, there are two kinds of people that were that were a part of the congregation there in Rome. And, and that becomes very sharp in our focus today. Um, uh, there were some that come from a Jewish background who had come to faith in Christ that were living in Rome, and, uh, and so they were religious. They had grown up in, in, in Judaism. They knew the word. They, they understood the commands of God, uh, but they had come to faith in Christ. And then there were also in the church in Rome, those who came basically from a pagan background. They had no religious background at all. And all of this was brand new to them. And so Paul is trying to disciple both groups of people, trying to teach both those who had a religious background and and maybe some misunderstanding of what God intends from that upbringing, and then those who had no understanding at all. And so Paul addresses that in this book of Romans. Now, as we come to chapter 7, last time we were in chapter 6, we realized that Paul introduces a truth, and that truth can be stated this way. Paul says, We are no longer under the law, but we are now under grace. Now what he does in chapter 7 is he kind of unpacks that and he helps us understand what that means because Paul knew that there was a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to the law and to grace. Those are two areas that even in the church today, we have a tendency to misunderstand. We have a tendency to kind of carry to the extreme. With regard to the law, we have a tendency to become legalistic and all of a sudden we have to keep the law and we somehow believe that by keeping the law we gain favor with God or by keeping the law we can be made right with God. And then we take the law and we build from it our own laws. That's what the Jewish people have done, and that's what we do today. And and we add to it, and we would say something like this, well, the way you go to heaven is by being baptized, or the way you go to heaven is by going to church. And Paul said, no, no, no. It's not what you do that guarantees you a place in heaven. It's because of what he's done for you. And your response to that that guarantees us a place in heaven. And the other extreme was grace, and Paul saw how they abused grace. And the idea that we talked about last time we were together was that, well, if God's gracious and he forgives sin no matter what I do, then why do I need to stop sinning? I can keep doing whatever I want to do because God's going to forgive me. So what Paul does is he kind of talks about those two areas. Now, in chapter 6, verse 14, I want you to look there. Because what Paul does in chapter 7 is he, is he talks about the second half of this verse. In chapter 6, verse 14, it says, For sin shall not be your master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, Paul has already unpacked what it means when he said sin can no longer be your master. He talks about the fact that we, because of what Jesus has done for us, have power over sin. We have the ability to say no to sin, and we talked about that last time we were together. That's in the latter part of chapter 6, but when he comes to chapter 7, he's going to unpack the back part of that verse when he says, what does it mean to be under, that we are no longer under law, but under grace? Now, as is much of what Paul gives us in the book of Romans, it can be a little bit confusing. And this text that we're looking at today might be a little challenging. So this is what I want to do. I just want to give you two things in our time together. First of all, I'm, we're going to read the text, and then I'm going to make four observations. I'm just going to say, this, this is what I observe from what Paul is saying. So what we can say is, this is what Paul is saying. Here are four observations. And then I'm going to come back and give you five results of that observation. Basically, it's just sleight of hand. It is a way that a preacher can preach a message with two points that actually have nine. (laughs) The first point really is four, and the second five. So let's look at them together. Beginning, if you will, in verse 1, chapter 7, we find these words. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law. Now, in that parenthesis, Paul is saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to kind of drill down here, but I'm talking mainly to those of you who are Jewish. You've grown up with an understanding of the law. Now, let me tell you what happened. The Jewish people had been taught from the time they were small to value the law of Moses, so much so that they, they really turned it into an idol, and they became more interested in the law than the lawgiver. And so what Paul is going to do is say, wait a minute, don't, don't focus on the law to the exclusion of the lawgiver. The law was given to you so that you could know the lawgiver. And so he's going to kind of help them understand that. So he's he's kind of looking at the church in Rome saying, okay, I want to talk to you church folks for a second. Because you're the ones that seem to, to, to have a misunderstanding with regard to the law. So let's drill down and talk about that, and that's what he does. The rest of part one or verse one, that the law has Jewish diction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is l- released from the law concerning the husband. So then. If while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit of our fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter." Now, let's just look at those six verses together because in that passage of Scripture, Paul kinds of, kind of helps us understand the misunderstanding that seems to take place with regard to the law. And I just want to make four observations as we walk through this. What Paul is saying is that, that as Jew, the Jews primarily, you, you, have, you have misunderstood what the law is and you have literally become trapped in a performance trap you think you have to do certain things to earn God's love and do certain things to keep God's love. And if you do certain things, you'll lose God's love. And he says, you, you, you're just lost in a performance trap. You're kind of like that greyhound who chases that mechanical rabbit around the, the racetrack. I, I mean, he's never going to catch it ever but he chases it and runs with all his might. And so Paul is saying, you're running with all your might, but you're never gonna catch it. So he helps us understand what the law means and the value. And so let's make four observations based on what he says. Number one, Paul says, first of all, the law is only binding as long as I am alive. He said, let me tell you something about the law. It's only binding as long as I am alive. Now, that's reasonable. It seems to be obvious, actually, right? Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald killed President Kennedy. He assassinated President Kennedy, but he was never tried for it. He never went through a trial of his peers. He He never served one day in prison for killing the President of the United States. How is it? that a person can kill the president of the United States and not even face trial and never go to prison for what he's done? Well, the obvious answer is he was dead, right? He was killed shortly after that. And because he was killed, it's over with. We're not going to go to a trial for a person who's already dead. The law doesn't apply to me once I die. I can break the law and be arrested, but if I die, guess what? It's over with. All the charges are dropped because the law has no power over those who are dead. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture. Now, to make his point, he uses an illustration about marriage. Now, let me just quickly say, Paul is not teaching on marriage in this passage of Scripture. He's not talking about marriage relationship. He's using the law connected to marriage to make his point. Because everybody that he was writing to understood that marriage, according to the covenant relationship of marriage in the Word of God, is a permanent binding uh, relationship. We make a vow till death do us part. And so Paul takes that and he uses that as an illustration. And he says, if a woman and a man are married and the, the woman and the man separate, she leaves him and marries another person, he's still alive. And, and he says, as a result of that, she's still bound to him. According to the law, she's going to be called an adulteress. But what happens if the man dies? Well, if the man dies, she's no longer bound to him and those rules of marriage. She is free. So he's just using that as an illustration to say that death frees us from the law. And so he's making that very simple point so that he can continue to make another point to help us understand what this means so Paul says here's the bottom line the law and even the law of God is only binding as long as I am alive now the second observation I make is this Paul is also saying I died to the law through my relationship with Jesus Christ Paul second says okay The law has control over you, and you are bound by it unless you die. Once dead, the law has no power over you. And the second thing he says is, if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, you have died to the law in Christ. Every one of us in Christ has died to the law. Uh, It's kind of like he said in chapter 6, when Jesus died on the cross, we entered into that death. He paid the penalty for our sin, and we were free from the penalty of our sin, but we were also free from the power of sin, so that we have the ability in him to say no and to live as he has called us to live. And so, he simply says, hey, as long as we are alive, we are under the law. But when we die, we're no longer under the law. And if you are a Christian, you have died in Christ. You died just as Jesus died on the cross, and you were declared alive just as Jesus was declared alive through the resurrection. And as a result of your commitment to Christ, You are dead to your old life, to the old self, and you are alive in Christ. And so Paul is saying, if you're dead in Christ, then you are dead to the law. Now now he says in verse 5, he says, when we were under the law in the flesh, that's before we came to faith in Christ, he says we were under the law, and the law did not keep us from sin. In fact, before we met Christ, the law kind of made us sin more. Now, now, what in the world does he mean by that? I, I could illustrate it by just simply saying, if you and I were to walk down, uh, maybe we were in a, in a in a building that had been recently renovated, and you were to see a handrail that that was shiny and new and it looks like it has just been painted, it's likely that you would look at it but you wouldn't touch it. But if we walked in that same renovated building with that same handrail and there was a sign on the wall that said freshly painted, do not touch, all of a sudden, there's something in me that needs to touch that, right? I mean it draws attention to it and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking fresh painted. I wonder if that means it was painted yesterday. I wonder if it means it was painted 2 days ago and they didn't take it down. It it looks like wet paint but I think it's dry. And all of a sudden what what do we do? You know if you've got children the first when you tell them don't touch something what is it they're going to do? Now I've told you before One of the dumbest things that I've ever done in my life. We grew up in the country. We had a little house on pier and beam, wood floors, and we had a floor furnace in the hallway. And every winter, my dad would say the same thing to my brother and myself. Every winter, he would say, boys, don't stand on the floor furnace. Don't stand on the floor furnace. Well, I never stood on the floor furnace until one night, mom and dad were gone. I was there by myself. And I got to thinking about that. And I thought to myself, I wonder why dad tells me not to stand on the floor furnace. It must be fun. He would never tell me not to stand on the floor furnace unless he was, you know, maybe there's something. I bet when I go to bed at night, mom and dad come out and stand on the floor furnace. So you know what I did? I took my shoes off. And I took my socks off. And I went and stood on the floor furnace. And I suddenly realized why Dad said, "Don't stand on the floor furnace." And I remember when Dad walked in the door. I can still vividly remember his face when he walked in the door. I'd found a pan and I'd put water in it. I was sitting in the chair and I had my, both my feet in a pan of water. And Dad, Mom walked in the, and Dad looked at me and he said, "What happened?" I said, "I stood on the floor furnace." And he just shook his head like, "Oh my gosh, what's wrong with you?" But isn't it amazing whenever we see a sign that says, do not step on the grass, there is something in us that just kind of wants to try that out. Don't walk this path. Well, why is it that you don't want me to walk the path? And, and for many of us, sometimes we look at the commands of God and we say, well, I wonder why God tells us not to do that. I bet it's because it's fun. I bet it's because God is a mean old God upstairs somewhere and he doesn't want me to experience that. And so when the law comes about, it actually creates within us a desire to sin rather than limiting our sin. So the law, the Jewish people felt like keeping the law would make us right with God, when in fact keeping the law allowed us to recognize that we couldn't be right with God because we couldn't adequately keep the law, and it demonstrates that we need a Savior. It's kind of like driving in a familiar unfamiliar area. If you're driving in an unfamiliar area, do you notice that you have a tendency to drive a little slower because you don't know what the speed limit is? You kind of slow down because I don't want to take any risks. I'm not really sure what it is, but if you're driving in an area where you know the speed limit, what do you do? You fudge a little bit. You think, well, you know, I can get about five miles above the speed limit here. Just I think I can get by with that. And so that's what Paul is saying in the text before us: the law is only binding if I'm alive. But if I die, I am no longer under the law. So. I'm dead in Christ. That's the second observation that he makes. Now, the third thing he says is this. The law is binding only if I'm alive. I am dead to the law in Christ. The third thing is I am free. Because of that, I am free to live in a love relationship, not a law relationship. The second part of what Paul says in verse 4 says that we are free from the law through our unity with Christ. So, our relationship with Christ enables us to live our life out of love, not out of obligation. Now, Paul's not saying that the law is bad. In fact, he's going to come back and he just kind of swings the pendulum all the way over here before he brings back. But he's simply saying this, if if you misunderstand the purpose of the law, then then you're going to keep the law out of obligation and out of fear. When God has given us an opportunity to have a relationship with him so that we can live that relationship characterized by love. The, the, The law was not given to us. Or I guess I could put it this way. Jesus didn't come to lead us to the law. The law came to lead us to Jesus. And Paul is saying that, that the law enables us to enter into a love relationship with God that transforms our life. In fact, he even says that when he says that, that, that we, this person, he uses the illustration of the married person, And once they die, and he said, we have died, and it allows us to enter into a relationship, kind of like a marriage with with God, so that I'm no longer married to a domineering, dominant, demanding law. I'm married to a gracious, kind, and loving Heavenly Father. And so my relationship with God is characterized by love and, and then the fourth thing he says is this death to the law as a result of that produces fruitful servants not sinners you see the argument might be well if the law has gone if, if, if we're dead to the law and we don't keep the law aren't we going to end up being sinners and, and and Paul says no you're dead to the law and what that's going to do is create Actually, fruitful servants rather than sinners. And and here's the main point of what Paul wishes to say. kind of drills down here to say, death to the law doesn't mean that, that, that we sin more. It's the opposite. Death to the law allows us to live in the power that God gives us allows us to walk in a relationship with him so that our actions are governed by love and commitment, not fear and obligation. In fact, that kind of opens the door for the five results that I want to give you. So the second point of the sermon today is what does this mean for us? Well, I think I think we could look at the text, and what it means is number one that we have a, we have because when we accept Jesus, we die to the law. We have a new motivation. You see, as long as we live under the law, our motivation is fear. I I want to. There's so many religions in the world today that are that the motivation of the religion is fear. I'm afraid God's going to zap me, and i got to do all this stuff to make sure that I don't experience the wrath and the judgment of God. And we live our entire life in fear of this God who is going to judge us. We, we serve out of obligation. But when I enter into a relationship with God through Jesus, there's a new motivation. And in Christ, I'm motivated by love. And my service to God is in joy. All of a sudden, the commandments are are not insignificant, but I keep them because I love him. And, And I do what he tells me to do because... It brings joy to my heart, the relationship that we have with him, and I suddenly realize that, that he didn't give me these rules and regulations to, to govern my relationship with me. God loves me, and, he, and if he gives me rules and regulations because he knows that if I keep them, my life will be better. And because I trust him. Because I love him, and I say, God, you made me. So I think you know how this life is to be lived better than I do. So I'm going to do what you tell me to do because I love you. Not because I fear you, not because I'm obligated, but, but out of that love relationship. And so in Christ, we're motivated by love to serve, and, and there's joy rather than drudgery in our lives. Secondly, in Christ. We have a new power. You see, as long as we live under the law, we just live in our own power and strength. We have to depend on our own self-sufficiency. And the, and the one thing that the law does is it reveals to us real quick that we can't do it. And it becomes so frustrating. And I I can't, God tells me that this is the way I'm gonna live, but I, I can't do that. I don't have the ability to do that. Paul's gonna even talk about the challenge of sin later in this chapter. The very thing I wanna do is the thing I find myself not doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from that? Thanks be to God. Jesus is the one. In my relationship with Him, He gives me the power to live life. You see, the problem with the law is that it gives us a bunch of uh, it gives us a bunch of rules and regulations, but no resources. It gives us nothing with which we can live and fulfill that. But in the relationship that we have with God, suddenly we have access to His power, to His gra- I don't have to live in my own power, I don't have to love in my own. Love. I don't have to forgive you with my own ability. I, I can. I can lean into God. The, the law. Suddenly, what happens is God's plan all along was that that law that was written on stone would one day be written on our hearts. And so, what does He say? When He, he I'm going to live in you, and I'm going to live through you, and I'm going to give you the ability to live different than everybody else, and, and you're going to want to live the way that I've called you to live. I'm going to give you the power to live that life, the strength. The third thing that it does for us, not only does it give us a new motivation and a new power, it gives us a, a, a new sense of contentment. The law leaves us helpless and hopeless. I mean, if you think you earn your way to heaven, if you, if, if, if you believe that the way to heaven is to be good, here's the question for you. How good's good enough? How do we know we've gotten there? We never do. And so we're never content. We live our entire life hoping. We live our entire life in desperation. We live our entire life and we even confront death not really ever knowing. But when we die to the law made alive in Christ, there's a new contentment that he gives us. One of the things that I have to do as a pastor and It's not the fun part of my job, but often I'm given the privilege to stand with people when they die and enter into heaven, talk to people when they've been given that news that they only have a little while to live. And I want to tell you something, for those that know Christ, there's a contentment there. Um, There was a lady, Penny Hopkins, died uh, over the weekend, and uh, Earlier in the week, Penny was in the hospital, and and it looked like she had turned the corner. We thought she was doing well, but she brought her daughter in. She had this conversation with her, and she was just like, "You know what? You need to let me go." And uh, and, and Jennifer's an only child. I don't, Mom. No, I can't. You need to let me go. I, I think Penny knew what we didn't know. You know, we were praying that she would get better. We thought she had turned the corner, and then. Friday morning, boy, things begin to go downhill and we begin to realize. But there was a contentment with her. There was no worry, no anxiety, no concern. In fact, the only concern she ever voiced was for her family that they're going to be okay. You see, the relationship we have with God gives us the ability to be content, complete in Him if I'm in Christ. If we're under the law, the law leaves us helpless and hopeless. The harder we try, the deeper we sink. In fact, I've discovered this contentment can be with ourselves when I no longer have to chase the mechanical rabbit and my life is no longer performance-based, but I realize that God loves me like I am. And there's nothing I can do to make him love me more, and there's nothing I can do to make him love me less. And it also gives me contentment with other people because we have a tendency with legalism to become judgmental of others and expect them to live a certain way. But when we're free from the law, there brings contentment. The fourth thing is this: it gives us a new standing with God. Under the law, we live under condemnation because we've broken the law. We're condemned. But when Jesus died, he paid the penalty for that broken law. And Paul's going to say in chapter 8 when we get there and we'll look at it, there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You're no longer condemned. God sees us and accepts us as right with him. The law shows God's perfect standard, and it shows how we miss it. But in Christ, we're secure. And even though I can't meet the perfect standard, God has made me perfect in Christ. Recognizing there's no condemnation, meaning that there's nothing I can do to make him love me, more and there's nothing I can do to make him love me less I'm accepted in him and then the fifth thing is this in Christ we have a new object of praise under the law we seek self glory that's what the Pharisees did oh I'm the keeper of the law look at me but when we realize we're dead to the law All the glory and honor goes to him. And our purpose for living is to thank him for all he's done, as we sang a moment ago, to praise him. He gives us purpose and meaning in life. Because the law is only binding while I'm alive, and because I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I died to the law, and I'm alive through Christ. Because I'm free to live in a love relationship, not a law relationship, and because death to the law produces fruitful servants and not sinners, I've got a new motivation, a new power, A new contentment, a new standing, and a new praise. That's what God's called us to. If you're here today and have never accepted God's gift of eternal life, the law says to go to heaven, you got to be perfect. And I got news for you you've already blown it. But grace says, what you couldn't do for yourself, I did. I came to earth and I paid the penalty for your sin debt on the cross so that if you trust me, you can have eternal life. If you're here today and have never embraced that eternal life, now is your moment, now is your opportunity to receive that for yourself And I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision today. If you'll just bow your head with me. If you have never accepted Christ, now is that opportunity, and it's simple. You just have to acknowledge. In fact, the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. confess means to agree. God, I agree. I'm a sinner, and I can't save myself. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and come into my life. I give you control of my life, my heart, and I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. Maybe you're here as a Christian, a believer, but you have kind of slipped back into a legalistic life of chasing the mechanical rabbit, and today you can say, God, thank you that I'm dead to the law but alive to you. I don't have to prove anything. But I come today asking that you forgive and restore and fill me with your spirit to live as you've called me to in these moments. In Jesus' name, Amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com. To share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry, send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the gift button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.